0: Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. 1 Peter chapter 3, begin with verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you're slandered, Those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right than for doing what is wrong. You may be seated. Somebody comes up to you tomorrow at school or at work, and they say to you, I understand you're a Christian. And you say, yes, I am. And they say, do you mean you believe the Bible? Hasn't that been proven to be false? Just a bunch of myths? How could an intelligent person living in the 21st century believe a 2,000-year-old book? I don't understand. Would you be able to make a defense for why you believe the Bible to be the very Word of God? Why you, an intelligent thinking person, place your trust in the Word of God? I hope you are able to, because we've been spending the last several weeks looking at this very thing, why you and I, as Christians, can trust the Bible, and because the Bible is God's Word, our reasons are an intelligent reasons for trusting it as the authoritative guide for our lives. Now, we have looked at already four reasons. Well, you and I can trust the Scriptures. First, the Bible claims to be the Word of God over 3,800 times. It claims to be God's very Word. Now, that in itself is not enough because other books claim to be God's Word. But if it did not claim to be God's Word, we wouldn't go any further, would we? But secondly, and most importantly, we have seen that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself Believe the Bible to be the authoritative Word of God. And for you and I as Christians, that's as far as we really need to go. Because how can you and I believe any differently than our Lord believed? If He accepted the Scriptures as the very words of God, how can we do any differently? But we went on to see our third evidence is the Bible is the only book with a 100% accuracy in fulfilled prophecies. And we saw from sources outside of Scripture, from historical writings, how the prophecies in Scripture were fulfilled 100% in their accuracy. And then we saw the fourth reason last week. The Bible has absolute historical accuracy, which is continually being verified by archaeological discoveries. Though liberals and critics have said the Bible is untrue, have said parts of it could not be right because there have been no evidence in other historical writings of such things. Archaeology has continued to make discoveries that have only verified what the holy scriptures have said all along. There has never been one archaeological discovery that has disproven one historical truth in the scriptures. Today, we're going to look at six other reasons. So you can imagine we're going to move fairly quickly. So listen up and take good notes. Reason evidence number five. The Bible has absolute scientific accuracy when it speaks on matters of science. There has been no factual scientific discovery that has contradicted the Bible. None. Science has not discovered one fact, one scientific fact that has disproven the scripture in any way. You say, well, what about evolution, preacher? Well, evolution is not a scientific fact. It is only an hypothesis and a theory. For something to be an historical fact, it must be observable and it must be repeatable. Evolution is neither one of those. We don't see evolution going on now. And so evolution is only an hypothesis. Now, science have made assumptions that contradict the Bible, but they have never verified, proven a fact that has contradicted the Scripture in any way. I will be the first to admit that the Scripture is not a scientific textbook. It does not seek to be a scientific textbook. It does not describe things scientifically. It does use figures of speech. And some have tried to discredit the scriptures and say that they were scientifically inaccurate because they've taken figures of speech that were common to the time of scripture and tried to say, hey, look at that. Such as, the scripture talks about the sun having set. And the critics will say, oh, we all know the sun doesn't set. We all know it's the earth that revolves and it only appears to set. See, the scripture's wrong. You might have been listening to the weather on Friday afternoon when Glenn Byrne said the sun will set at 8.33 tonight. Now, did you jump up and say, Glenn, you're wrong. That's scientifically inaccurate and incorrect. You knew exactly what he was talking about. And the Scripture does the same thing. It uses words of speech common to their time. Also, it speaks about the four corners of the world in Isaiah chapter 11. Now, the Bible's not trying to say the world is flat. We use the same concept today when we want to talk about all over the world. We'll say it goes out to the four corners of the world. And so the Bible uses figures of speech And they're not speaking scientifically. But when the Bible does speak to matters of science, it speaks with absolute accuracy. And I want to give you some examples. Now, these are only a few examples. You can find many more online if you'll simply Google scientific accuracy of the Bible. And you'll find many other examples. But for instance, over in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 22, Jeremiah says, The host of heaven... Cannot be counted. And he's talking about the stars of heaven. And you and I today think, well, what's so great about that? We know that. Well, for centuries, men didn't know this. Before the invention of the telescope, scientists believed that there were a very finite number of stars. For instance, the Greek scientist, Hipparchus. Back in 150 B.C. said there were 820 stars. Ptolemy in 110 A.D. said there were 1,022 stars. Now you and I know after the invention of the telescope, it has become very clear to us that there are over 100 billion stars just in our Milky Way galaxy. And our Milky Way galaxy is only one of an innumerable number of galaxies. And so you and I know that indeed science has shown that Jeremiah was accurate when he said that the stars of heaven cannot be counted. Another example comes from the life of a man named Matthew Maury. He lived in the 1800s, and he was a U.S. naval officer, and he became very ill, and as he was laying in bed, he was reading the Scriptures. He was a committed Christian man. He read the scriptures a great deal. And he read in Psalm 8 where it talks about the path of the seas. And he thought to himself, path of the seas. If the Bible says that there are paths in the seas, then there must be. And so he set out and spent 17 years seeking to discover the paths in the seas. And because he was disabled, he was no longer able to go on the seas, and he was put in charge of the Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C. And he was also made superintendent of the Depot of Ocean Charts and Maps. And so he began to study the logs of old ships, and he began to study... Where they went from one place to another and what were the dates that they traveled and how long did it take them to get to those different places. And from that he began to study the ocean currents and the winds. And he put drift bottles in the ocean. Now these were bottles that were weighted so that they would be down below the surface and not be affected by the winds but rather by the ocean currents. And he would put a message in these bottles that would instruct anyone who found them washed ashore to send him where they were found and the date that they were found. And so from this information, he could tell how long it took that bottle to travel from point A to where it landed on the shore, point B, and what was the time frame of that travel. And from this, he was able to put together what is now known as the ocean charts. And navigation used this to help determine how ships can best travel. And back in the days when they went by sail rather than by steam and other methods, this was very important. And so he discovered that indeed there were paths in the sea, as God's Word clearly said. And he wrote the first scientific book on oceanography, which was greatly acclaimed by science of his day. Next, the hydraulic cycle. Ecclesiastes talks about the rivers flowing into the ocean and yet the ocean never fills up. And then again, the waters go into the rivers and they again flow back into the ocean. Now for thousands of years, scientists had no clue about how rain was formed in the clouds and where the moisture came from. It's only been in recent times, relative recent times, that scientists have understood the science of hydraulics, which talks about the ocean waters being evaporated by the sun, forming clouds, the clouds being blown over the land, the clouds dropping their waters, going into the rivers, flowing into the ocean, then again evaporating up in the hydraulic cycle. But Ecclesiastes spoke about this thousands of years before scientists ever discovered it. Another example concerns Noah's Ark. The Korean Research Institute of Ships and Ocean Engineering, some architects, made a model of Noah's Ark, going exactly by the dimensions given in the scriptures, and they Reduce those dimensions but made an ark that was identical model of the ark that Noah built according to the scriptural specifications. They put this ark in a wave tank and they discovered that it was almost impossible for it to capsize. They found that it would stand waves that were 90 feet high. Now... Compare that to the reality that an average tsunami only has waves 30 feet high, and yet this vessel was able to stand waves 90 feet high. Another interesting thing is they took other flood stories from other cultures, such as the epic of Gilgamesh, the Babylonian epic. They took the dimensions of the boat that that gives, and it was a cube that was highly unstable and would not stay afloat even in the smallest waves. And so again, when the Bible speaks to matters of science, it speaks with 100% accuracy. Evidence number six. The Bible has a miraculous unity in its diversity. If a book were written by one man... At one time, we would expect it to be unified, wouldn't we? But there would be no diversity. As soon as you add a second person writing a book with another person, you add diversity, but again you end up destroying the unity because no two people see things alike. But the Bible is unique in that it maintains its unity even amidst great Diversity. The Bible is not 66 separate books, but the Bible is one unit, one book. And all of these 66 books agree in areas of doctrine, and details of prophecy, and what it says about Jesus, and what it says about man's need for redemption, and the forgiveness of sins, and what it says about heaven, and what it says about hell. And this is amazing when you realize the diversity of the Bible. It was written by 40 different authors over a period of 1,600 years. That's how long the different parts were written between in 1600 years, from the time of Moses to the writing of John on the island of Patmos. We're talking about 1,600 years. and yet it is perfect in its unity, written in three languages, Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. The writers were from different walks of life. You have a doctor, you have a tax collector, you have fishermen, you have a, a king. All of these from different walks of life going in to write the words of Scripture over a 1600-year period, but yet they do not contradict each other in one single thing the bible is unique in its unity amidst such great diversity evidence number seven the bible stands alone among ancient writings in its textual preservation now you would expect since the bible is god's word that he would see to it that it's preserved wouldn't you Well, when you look at other ancient documents, it's amazing at what you see in the Word of God. First, in the number of manuscripts. Many of you have heard of Caesar's Gallic Wars. Now, there are only ten manuscripts that we have of Caesar's Gallic Wars. That's all that we have today of his original, or the writings of his Gallic Wars. Aristotle. All of us have heard of Aristotle. There are only 19 documents left, manuscripts left, of Aristotle's writings. Herodotus' history, I mentioned to you last week, there are only 8 of his manuscripts left, of the documents of his history left. But when you come to the New Testament, there are over 14,000 New Testament manuscripts in existence today. Amazing, isn't it? You can see the hand of God at work here. 49, 8, 10 compared to over 14,000. And when you consider fragments of the New Testament, it goes over 24,000 we have today. So first when you see the number of manuscripts, but then when you move to the date of these manuscripts, it becomes equally amazing. Now look at Caesar's Gallic Wars. The earliest manuscript we have of this writing is 900 A.D. Now that's a span of a thousand years from the time it was originally written. In 100 B.C., he wrote the story of his wars. But now the earliest manuscript we can find, the earliest copy we can find of that is 900 A.D. That's a thousand year span between those two. Now you've got to figure, if somebody is copying those over and over again for a thousand years, there's going to be some problems, right? There's going to be some mistakes. When you go down to Aristotle's writings... The earliest in Aristotle's writings we have are 1100 A.D. That's 1400 years after they were originally written. Imagine that. 1400 years is the earliest copy we can find of what he originally wrote. Again, you would think, man, it's got to be so many times copied over. There have got to be some problems in the accuracy. With Herodotus' history the earliest manuscript we have of that dates to 900 A.D. Again, that's a 1,300 year span between the time he originally wrote it and the copy that we have today. But when you come to New Testament Scriptures, what you see is the earliest that we have dates to 125 A.D. That's roughly 50 ...to a hundred years after the original was written. See the difference? Fifty to a hundred years compared to a 1, thousand? Fourteen hundred? Thirteen hundred years? Truly God was at work. And the third reason that the Scripture stands above other documents... ...in its textual preservation has to do with the stringent copy rules for the Old Testament. Now, when the scribes copied the Old Testament, they were meticulous in their work. Since they knew that they were copying the Word of God, they were very, very careful in what they did. And they had very strict rules that they had to follow. Now, remember... The print press didn't come about until the 1400s. And so we're talking about everything had to be copied by hand. Now, here were the rules that the scribes had to follow in copying the Old Testament. First of all, the scribe could not copy from memory. Say you were copying John 3.16. You'd be tempted to say, okay, for God so loved the world, He gave His only forgotten Son... Whosoever gave it, they couldn't do that. They would have to go letter for letter. T, T. H, H. E, E. W, W. O, O, R, R. They had to go letter for letter. Could not do it from memory at all. They knew how many letters were on each page. So when they would finish a page, they would count the letters. And the letters had to match exactly. If not, the page would be torn up and started over. They also knew the exact middle letter in that page, what line it was on and which letter it was. And so they would go to that line, go to the middle of the page, and if it was not the exact letter that was supposed to be there, like they'd made a mistake somewhere, it would be destroyed. They also knew the exact letter in the middle of every book. That they were copying. So if they were copying the book of Isaiah, and they went and finished Isaiah, and they went back and checked the middle letter in the book, if it didn't match exactly, they'd have to destroy the whole book and start over. They even knew the middle letter of the whole Old Testament. And when they had finished doing the whole Old Testament, they would go and check that letter, and if it didn't match, something was wrong. And so they were very, very careful as they copied the Old Testament. And what we find is amazing accuracy. Now the earliest manuscript that we had of the Old Testament dated back to 850 A.D. It was the Masoretic Text. So we're talking about a thousand or more years from the time it was originally written... And the earliest manuscript we had until the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. And with the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found parts of the Old Testament that dated back to 200 B.C. So now we're moving back a thousand years closer to the original writings. And they found portions of every book, practically every book of the Old Testament. And do you know what they noticed when they compared the best of the manuscripts of the Dead Sea Scrolls with the Masoretic text of 850 A.D.? It matched almost identically in everything. Why? Because those scribes followed such, such strenuous copy rules. And so we are assured that the text of 850 A.D. was the same thing text that Jesus read when he read the Old Testament in his day. And so what we have is the preservation of the manuscripts of the Bible show that it is far greater and it is unique compared to other ancient documents. Evidence number eight. The Bible is unique in its beneficial effects upon societies that accept its teachings. When a nation or a society follow the teachings of the Bible, they are greatly benefited. Just look at the societies today that are based upon the scriptures. Western civilization, the United States, uh, Great Britain. Look at those societies and how advanced we are. Look at the societies built upon the Quran: Iraq, Iran afghanistan pakistan now where would you rather live in iran or in the united states ladies where would you rather live where islam rules or whether the scriptures was the basis for the society india built upon hinduism do you rather live in india or do you rather live here look at the difference Many told us when she shared with us about Hinduism and and how women are treated in Hinduism. Would you rather live here, ladies, or in India? And so the societies and countries that have taken the Scriptures and used the Scriptures as their basis for their society have free enterprise, they have freedom of worship, they have freedom of speech, justice for all, they take care of the helpless and the homeless. Now America is getting away from those biblical principles and we're seeing a difference, aren't we? But in our foundational principles, they were based upon the teachings of Scripture and because of that, our society is the greatest in the world. Evidence number nine. The Bible has profound impact upon individuals who accept and practice its teachings. Read the biographies of Hudson Taylor missionary to China, of George Mueller, who managed an orphanage for thousands of children, of William Carey, of others. Notice how the Scriptures impacted their lives. John Newton was a captain of a slave trade ship. And then the Lord God Almighty got a hold of him and saved him. And he came under the authority of Scriptures and ended up turning his back upon such an abominable trade, and he wrote Amazing Grace. Individuals who practice the teachings of Scripture, who believe them and embrace them, have benefited greatly in their lives. And in evidence number 10, the advanced medical knowledge of Scripture. The knowledge of Scripture is in areas of medicine thousands of years Beyond its time that it was written. For instance, the laws of quarantine written over in Leviticus talks about if someone has an infectious disease, they should be separated from the camp. Their clothes would would be burned. They would need to wash. If they showed themselves to the priest, he would have to wash himself and, and they would be separated. All of this was very unique. No other nation practiced quarantine except ancient Israel. Until modern times. In fact. In the 14th century when the black plague killed millions across Europe. It was not until the church fathers in Vienna. Began to encourage the people to follow the laws of quarantine given in the scriptures. That the black plague began to be abated. And they had such success in the city of Vienna. That other cities also told their people to follow the quarantine laws of the old testament and finally the disease was eradicated but thousands of years before modern medical science recognized the importance of quarantine god's word spoke about it the first antiseptic numbers 1918 talks about using hyssop well it has been found that hyssop has a 50% antifungal and antiseptic qualities. God knew this when he instructed them in Numbers to use it. The sanitary practices of the Old Testament indeed are unique. For centuries, doctors would scoff at the idea that diseases could be caused by unseen organisms, unseen things. But then Louis Pasteur came up with his writing on the theory of germs. And he said there were microorganisms that carried germs and they were outside the body. This was a brand new discovery in the 1800s. And yet the scriptures taught in the Old Testament thousands of years earlier... That when there is any infection or any, any wound that is oozing, that the person needs to wash in running water, and the clothes needs to be washed or burned even. That when they just invaded a village, they would have washed the pots and utensils that they found. That a person who had leprosy, his garments were to be taken and burned. That when the priest, they were brought to the priest and the priest looked to see if they were clean, the priest had to wash himself with running water. Now, to you and I, that's common knowledge. To you and I, we can't imagine how people wouldn't understand that. But back before Louis Pasteur came up with his understanding, it was not uncommon for a doctor. In fact, they were seeing this high mortality rate on the obstetrics floor in this hospital. And what was happening is that the interns would go in the morning and they would do autopsies on the fatalities of the day before. And then having done those autopsies, they would go right in to deliver babies and examine these women and not dream of washing their hands. Now you and I can't imagine such a thing. But see, they did not believe and know anything about germs. They thought all disease originated from within the body. But God instructed them to burn the clothes of those who had leprosy and other infectious diseases. Modern science has found that leprosy is caused by a bacteria that can live on cloth or dust for three weeks. And so God knew and instructed them how to deal with leprosy thousands of years before modern medical science ever discovered it. Indeed, we have solid reasons for believing the Bible to be the Word of God and placing our absolute confidence and trust in its writings. Clarence Hall was a war correspondent in World War II. He was with our American troops when they invaded Okinawa. He wrote a book a pamphlet called What I Found at Shimabuk." It was later published by the American Bible Society. He said that when he was with the invading armies of Okinawa, that they came upon this village. As they approached this village in Okinawa, these two elderly men came out and said to the soldiers who were there with... Arms drawn. Welcome Americans. Fellow Christians. And these soldiers were totally taken off guard. <laughs> they never expected or seen anything like this on a Japanese island. And so they did like you would expect. They ran back got the chaplain. And they got the intelligence offices and brought them. And what they found out was that 30 years earlier, a missionary, on his way to Japan, had stopped in this village. And he had opened up the scriptures, and he had shared the good news of Jesus Christ. And these two men, who were brothers, had been saved by the power of God. And he left them a Bible, and he went on about his journey. Only there a short time. These two brothers were so convinced of the truth of this book that they began to teach it to the others in their village. And God saved everyone in the village. And they began to build their village life around the teachings of the Scriptures. They used it in their school. They used it in their homes. Their whole village society was based on the Scriptures. And when Clarence Hall and these other military officers got to the village, they began to walk around, and what they discovered was amazing. Unlike the other villages they had found on Okinawa that were filthy and poverty-ridden, and the people were ignorant and hostile, they found this village clean. They found it orderly. They found the people living in relative prosperity well fed well taken care of that the people were friendly and when they found out and asked for the reason these old gentlemen said because we followed the word of god clarence darrell said he was clarence hall said he was walking with an old army sergeant rough tough army sergeant and they were looking around and the army sergeant turned to him and said you know I really don't understand all of this came from two old guys who wanted to be like Jesus and the Bible. Then he looked at Clarence and he said, It looks like to me that we've been using the wrong weapon to try to make the world over. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is truth. And that your word is our guide, our absolute authority in all matters of our life and of our Christian living. Continue to affirm to our hearts. Give us the grace to obey it in everything. In Jesus' name, amen.